This message was presented at the GYC 2015 conference called Chosen Faithful in Louisville, Kentucky. For other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org. Good morning, family. Happy New Year. What better place to begin a brand new year than in God's presence, amen? It's a wonderful thing that GYC is during this time of year. We're ending a year and beginning a new year in this time, and it's a wonderful, wonderful blessing. Uh, this morning, we're going to continue our study from yesterday. Yesterday, we began with that passage, which is the foundation of our theme in Revelation 17, where the Bible talks about the war between good and evil and how Satan is going to unite the world together to fight against the Lamb and the truth of God and the people of God. But we learn that in this controversy, Jesus is the victor. Love wins because Jesus wins. Amen? And because he wins, we win too. They that are with him are called and chosen and faithful. And then we looked at an example of one in the Bible who was truly called, surely chosen, but was unfaithful. And who was that individual? That was Jonah. That was chapter 1. It showed that Jonah was called and chosen. In chapter 2, we're going to see how Jonah was made faithful by God. And so I hope you brought your Bible, and I hope you brought a spiritual appetite. Let us pray as we study the Word of God this morning. Thank you so much, dear Lord, for giving us a brand new year, a brand new day, a, a year with new experiences, new challenges, new struggles, new victories. And we pray, Lord, that in this new year, you would give us a new experience, a new heart, a new mind, and a fresh revelation of Jesus. Please speak to us, Lord, as we open your holy word. We thank you for your love and your mercy. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Please take your Bible and open with me to the book of Jonah. Jonah, we're going to the first chapter. The Bible tells us in Jonah chapter 1, and verse 1, 2, and 3, that Jonah was called, chosen, but he was unfaithful. The Bible tells us that God called Jonah to arise, to go up, but instead Jonah went down, down, down. In fact, notice what happens. He is now in the bottom of a ship that's heading to Tarshish, a place of ease, a place of luxury. He is running away from his mission. He is ignoring the calling that God had placed upon his life. He's neglecting the great work that God had called him to do. Instead of going to Nineveh, he is heading to Tarshish, a place of ease and luxury. Instead of going up, he goes down. Instead of going forward, he is going backward. Jonah forgot his name. And you remember yesterday we talked about the name of Jonah, which means dove, a symbol of the Spirit. He is the son of Amittai, which means my truth. Jonah is a true worshiper that has the spirit and truth. And God called him to give a loud cry message against Nineveh, which we learned yesterday was a type of Babylon. And we also learned that Jonah, the specific distinctive message he gave was a message calling people to fear God. The hour of his judgment has come. And to worship him that made, to worship the true creator, the point that we made is that Jonah's message and mission is the same as that of ours. He is an example of what God is calling us and choosing us to be. And unfortunately, he is also an example of the unfaithfulness 
that we have committed against the Lord. And so he's running from his duty. And now the story finds Jonah on the bottom of the boat, falling asleep in the midst of a storm. He is sleeping in the midst of a stupendous crisis. You know the story, the mariners come to try to wake him up. And what a tragedy, friends, that God's messenger is sleeping in the midst of the storm while those who are in the world are on panic mode. The world is trying to make, wake up the messengers. They see that there's a crisis taking place. And indeed, friends, we're living in a time of a stupendous crisis. All the prophecies of the revelation are being fulfilled before our very eyes. And it's pointing to the fact that time is almost finished, that Jesus indeed is coming. And my brothers and my sisters, now is not the time for us to sleep, but to our eyes and to wake up and to go and give that loud cry message to the world. So God sent the storm. To wake up his messenger. I like what it says in the book, Testimonies to the Church, volume 5, page 463. It says, the work which the church has failed to do in a time of peace and prosperity, she will have to do in a terrible crisis under most discouraging, forbidding circumstances. And that's a tragedy. Jonah, if he would have listened the first time, he would have spared himself a lot of headache and heartache. But thank God that he is a patient God and he does not give up on us so easily. Amen? And so what does Jonah need right now? He needs an awakening. He needs the same thing that we need today. He needs a revival, a spiritual awakening. And so God sent the storm to wake him up, but the storm did not work. Jonah, even though he is waken up by the mariners in the midst of the storm, he is still unwilling to go to Nineveh. He would rather die than do his duty. You see, friends, the storm wasn't enough to cause Jonah to be faithful. And in the same way, the storms and trials and tribulations and signs of the last days are not a strong enough motivator to cause us to be faithful to our mission. The fear of hell nor the reward of heaven is strong enough to make us faithful to God. And let me tell you, friends, if your work for God, if your faithfulness to God is because you are afraid of the last days, if it's because you are afraid of being lost, you're going to turn your back on Jesus eventually. Because there's nothing that is powerful enough to keep us faithful except the love of Christ for us. The storm didn't wake up the messenger. It wasn't strong enough. What does Jonah need, friends? He needs not only to recognize the storm, but what he really needs is to spend a few days and a few nights in the belly of the beast. And that's the title of our study this morning, In the Belly of the Beast. And so chapter 1 ends in verse 17. Notice what it says, Jonah chapter 1 and verse 17. It says, now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. So here we find that God prepared a fish, not for Jonah to eat, but rather to eat Jonah. God prepared a fish in order to prepare a man. Jonah chapter 1 ends there. Jonah was called and chosen, but he was not faithful. And now we pick up the narrative in chapter 2, to find that what Jonah experienced in the belly of the fish is what we need to experience in order for us to be faithful in the last days. And I want us to remember what we said yesterday, 
and that is that Jesus told us clearly that whatever Jonah experienced three days and three nights in the belly of the fish was what he would experience. In other words, the, the singular sign of Jesus' Messiahship was the sign of Jonah, and that is the same sign of our discipleship to Jesus. What Jonah experienced in the belly of the beast is what we need in order to be faithful in the last days, to be faithful to the Lamb. And so now we find Jonah in the stinky, smelly, slimy belly of the fish. He's without any food or water or rest. As, the, as this fish, this whale goes up and down, it's like a roller coaster. Jonah's going up and down and back and forth. I can imagine that Jonah began to become nauseous. I can imagine the stomach acid beginning to eat away at his flesh. His eyes are burning and his skin is itching. He's surrounded by thick darkness, barely any breath, companionless, comfortless, surrounded by darkness, rejected by man and seemingly forgotten even by God. And there he remained for three days and three nights, 72 hours. What an uncomfortable situation. And friends, I can imagine in the belly of the fish, Jonah had to have been thinking to himself, God, where are you? Why have you allowed this to happen to me? Lord, why am I in this situation? I can imagine that Jonah began to struggle and feel remorse and regret over the foolish decisions that he had made in running away from his calling and his mission. And perhaps we can relate with that this morning. Maybe this morning as you're sitting here in this auditorium, you're asking God the same questions. Maybe you, like Jonah, are consumed by the difficulties of life and you can't see your way out of the situation you're in today. Maybe you've experienced a terrible tragedy in your life. Maybe your parents are going through a divorce. Maybe you've lost a loved one through, by cancer. Or maybe uh, someone had, in your family had experienced a terrible accident and your heart is broken. Maybe you're overwhelmed by school loans and debt. Maybe you have a, a physical illness, cancer, diabetes, or some type of ailment that is sucking the life out of you. And you're wondering, why, God, are you allowing this to happen to me? Perhaps you are in the belly of the beast, the belly of the fish today. You're consumed by earthly cares, and you can't see your way out. And you're angry at God. You're questioning God. Why, God, have you allowed this fish to swallow me up? Well, friends, I want you to know, that the reason why God sent the fish was not to punish Jonah, but it was to save Jonah. The reason why God sent the fish was to save Jonah from the fury of the storm. And that's the same thing for us, friends. God sends tragedy in our lives. He allows it to take place to save us from greater tragedy. Now, we know that God does not cause suffering. An enemy has done it, Jesus said. But God does allow it. And friends, the reason why He allows trials and difficulties and tragedy is to save us from greater tragedy. I want you to consider, friends, that God is so desperate to save us that He'll allow us to suffer in order to bring us salvation. God allows us to experience momentary pain in order to give us permanent peace. He will permit us to go through te temporary suffering if that will secure eternal salvation. He will even tolerate physical death if he sees that that 
is what will awaken spiritual life. In this great controversy between good and evil, God permitted evil to exist for a time, a short time, in order to destroy it for all eternity because we serve a God that sees the big picture and He has our best interest in mind. And, through in it, and so in every difficulty, we can trust Him. And that's the reason why the Bible says that all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to His purpose. All things, the good and the bad, God brings it around for good. God, friends, is a God that can be trusted. The Bible says that we can give thanks to God in all things, in sunshine and in the rain. James says, count it all joy when you fall into diverse trials, knowing that the trying of your faith produces patience and a character that's fit for heaven. And that's the reason why Joseph could look into the face of his brothers, those who betrayed him and rejected him and sold him out. He could look into their face and say, I forgive you. What you have meant for evil, God has caused for good. And that's why Job, after losing everything, could say, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked shall I return thither. The Lord has given and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. You see, God allows the fish to come to save us from the fury of the storm. And so in all things, we can trust God. Let me tell you, friends, we're in a new year, and there are new challenges and trials and tests that are coming your way. But in the rain and the sunshine, God is good. In the darkness and the light, God is good. In adversity and prosperity, God is always good. In pain and in peace, in sickness and in health, in life and in death, God is good all the time. And all the time, God is good. Amen? God is too good to be unkind. He is too wise to be mistaken. And He is too strong to be defeated. And in all situations, we can trust Him. And let's never forget, no matter how hard it gets, for us, the blessings will always outweigh the difficulties of life. We are blessed more than we deserve, and surely we are blessed more than we recognize. And I love that verse in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16 through 18, where the Bible says, Therefore we do not lose heart, though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For while we look at the things which are seen, they're temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. And so let us pray that God will help us to see things through His eyes. Amen? Oh, my brothers and my sisters, I don't know what you're going through this morning, but this we do know. God is good all the time. Amen? Keep trusting and stay with Jesus. God sends the fish to save us from the fury of the storm. And so as God reaches down to us, let us reach up to Him, and as we link hands with the everlasting hands of Jesus, it's only then that we can reach out to others. God sent the fish to save Jonah from the storm and to save Jonah from himself. It is the experience in this fish that actually caused Jonah to pray and brought Jonah back to his senses. I want you to notice chapter 2 and verse 1, the nature of Jonah's prayer that reveals the experience of his heart. Notice Jonah chapter 2 and verse 1, the Bible says, Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the fish's belly. Now, friends, this is interesting because this is the first time Jonah prays in the book. He should have prayed in chapter 1. Isn't that right? 
if he would have prayed when the word of the Lord first came to him, he would have spared himself a lot of difficulty. But for some reason, it was after three days and three nights that Jonah began to pray. And the reason why he did not pray before then is because he felt secure. You see, the ground that he walked upon seemed to be solid, but now in the belly of the beast, he has nowhere to stand. The rug of complacency has been pulled out from under him. And in this impossible situation, Bible says Jonah prayed. Well, what caused Jonah to pray? That's my question. What was it that he experienced in the belly of the fish that, that compelled him to cry upon the Lord? What brought him to re repentance and faithfulness to God? Well, as we examine the language of his prayer, we see the experience of his heart. Jonah was oppressed. He was afflicted. And he opened his mouth in prayer. Notice what his prayer is in verse 2. And he said, I cried out to the Lord because of my affliction. And he answered me, out of the belly of what? Hell or Sheol, that means the grave, I cried. And you heard my voice. So notice, friends, in the belly of the beast, Jonah says, out of the belly of hell, Sheol, I cried, out of the belly of the grave. In other words, what Jonah experienced in that belly was the type of death. What kind of people go to the grave? Dead people, isn't that right? So whatever he experienced was a, a kind of death. But friends, listen, Jonah did not die physically. The death that he experienced in the belly of the fish was not so much physical, but rather it was death to self. Death to self. But notice what kind of death more specifically this was. I want us to take note of the symbolic, poetic, and prophetic language of Jonah's prayer. Verse 3, the Bible says, For thou hast cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the floods surrounded me. All your billows and your waves passed over me. Then I said, I have been cast out of your sight. Yet I will look again toward your holy temple. Verse 5. The waters surrounded me. What surrounded him? The waters surrounded me, even to my, what is that next word? My soul. The deep closed around me. The weeds were wrapped around my head. I went to the bottom of the mountains, the earth with its bars about me for how long did he say? Forever. Friends, I want you to notice the language of Jonah's prayer is such of despair and utter hopelessness. He is there in the belly of the fish, overwhelmed by water. You notice the words, uh, 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 the waves and the billows and the seas and the waters. In other words, Jonah is, you can say, drowning. No breath, no light, no comfort, no hope. The seaweeds wrapped around his head in the belly of the fish. The earth with their bars about him forever. It seemed like the fish's belly was a prison, and Jonah would never escape from this prison. What strange language. What does it mean? Well, friends, do you realize that Jonah's prayer is actually echoing someone else's prayer. In other words, his prayer is not so much his own. He's actually praying someone else's prayer, the psalmist's prayer in Psalms 69. So hold your thumb here in the book of Jonah and turn quickly to the book of Psalms 69. 
Psalm 69 will discover that Jonah is actually praying someone else's prayer. He's entering into the experience of someone else. Psalms. What division did I say? Psalm 69. And notice what it says here, beginning with verse 1. Psalm 69 and verse 1, if you're there, when you get there, would you let me know by saying amen? amen. Psalm 69 verse 1, the Bible says, Save me, O God, for the waters have come un into my soul. I sink in deep mire where there is no standing. I am come into deep waters where the floods overflow me. I am weary of my crying. My throat is dried. My eyes fail while I wait for my God. Here the psalmist is praying and describing his circumstance, his situation. He is in the, the waters are, are flooding his soul. He is sinking. He's in the deep waters. The flood is overflowing him. Now, friends, notice whose prayer is this? Jump down to verse 14. It says, deliver me out of the mire and let me not sink. Let me be delivered from them that hate me and out of the deep waters. Let not the water flood overflow me, neither let the deep swallow me up, and let not the pit shut her mouth upon me. Friends, this prayer in Psalm 69 is actually a prophecy. It is not only the experience of the psalmist, but it's actually a prophecy pointing to someone else that was to come and experience the exact same thing. Whose prayer is this really? The answer is found in verse 20. Verse 20 says, Reproach has broken my heart. I'm full of heaviness. I look for someone to take pity, but there was none. And for comforters, but I found none. They gave me gal for my meat. And in my thirst, they gave me what? Vinegar to drink. Friends, who is this referring to? Who was the one that looked for someone to comfort him in the Garden of Gethsemane? Look for someone to wipe the sweat off his brow. Look for someone to, to comfort him and to encourage him. But yet those were sleeping on him. Who was that? It was Jesus that was given and offered vinegar to drink in his thirst. You see, the prayer of Psalm 69, of which Jonah's prayer is an echo of, is really, really a prophecy that is pointing to the experience of Jesus Christ himself as he would go to Gethsemane and Calvary for you and me. In other words, friends, in the belly of the beast, that experience foreshadows the experience of the cross. In other words, what Jonah, when Jonah said what he said in the belly of the fish, he was actually experiencing something similar to what Jesus would experience when Jesus would go to the cross. As he described the floods overflowing him and the waves beating upon him and, and him being in the deep, tell me, friends, what does water represent in the Bible? What, does a, what is water a symbol of? It's a symbol of humanity. And friends, in the garden of Gethsemane, the floods overflowed the soul of Jesus. When Jonah said, the floods come past me about, it was similar to what Jesus was experiencing as the floods of humanity, as the sins of, of humanity was placed upon Jesus. It was overwhelming. And as a result, like what Jonah said, Jesus felt, I'm cast out of your sight because as sin comes in, 
it separates us from God. And so now the Father has to, has to withdraw His presence from His beloved Son. And Jesus begins to feel this alienation that he'd never experienced before, never in eternity past, was he ever separated from his Father until this moment when the floods of humanity overwhelmed him. I'm cast out of your sight. Thy billows and they, thy waves passed over me as all of the sins of the world are placed upon Christ. The weeds wrapped around my head, Jonah said, a symbol of the crown of thorns piercing the brow of Christ. The earth with her bars about me forever. Jesus, in that moment, friends, could not see beyond the tomb. He was dying a permanent death, a second death. And that's why it says in the book, Desire of Ages, page 753, the Savior could not see through the portals of the tomb. Hope did not present to him his coming forth from the grave as a conqueror or tell him of the Father's acceptance of the sacrifice. He feared that sin was so offensive to God that their separation was to be how long? Eternal. Jesus was paying the full wages of my sin, the full wages of yours. And then it says, the withdrawal of the divine countenance from the Savior in, his, in this hour of supreme, supreme anguish pierced his heart with a sorrow that could never fully be understood by man. So great was this agony that his physical pain was hardly felt. It wasn't the pain that caused Jesus to die, but it was the pain of being rejected by his children and seemingly forsaken by his Father that broke the heart of God. That's why he died, friends. In that moment, he could not see beyond the tomb. The earth with her bars was about him forever, it seemed. He was drinking the cup in full. He was paying our debt in full. And that's what Jonah is beginning to experience in the belly of the beast, experiencing the, what Jesus would go through for him on the cross. And friends, it was that experience that changed Jonah's attitude. It was this experience that caused Jonah to want to be faithful in fulfilling his calling. You see, only as Jonah was immersed in water was there a change. Baptism, immersion, is a symbol of the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Amen? And it's this that Jonah's experiencing. The storm wasn't strong enough to motivate him to faithfulness, but the cross was. And that's what Jonah was experiencing. The cross brought Jonah to repentance and enabled him to fulfill his mission. This, my friends, is the same experience that we need in order for us to live up to our name, our identity, our calling, and our mission. To go to Nineveh, to turn away from the comforts and luxury of the Tarshishes of the world and go to Nineveh and give that loud cry message, the call that says, fear God, give glory to Him, the hour of His judgment has come, and worship Him that made all things. This is the experience that we need in order to be faithful. We are called, chosen. But what does it mean to be faithful? You see, if you look at that word faithful, simply means to be full of faith. 
it means that your faith is full. Amen? And friends, only as we spend some time in the belly of the beast, as we enter into the experience of the cross, will our faith become so full that we will overflow in blessings to those around us. And so Jonah, as we go back to chapter 2, he's experiencing exactly that. And then notice, he wraps up his prayer in the next verse. Verse 6, the Bible says in Jonah 2, verse 6, I went, which direction? What does it say? I went down to the bottom of the mountains, the earth with its bars about me forever. Yet you have brought which direction? You have brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. You see, that's when the direction changed. Up to this point, Jonah was going down, down, down. He, he rose up to go down. He went down to Tarshish. He went down to the bottom of the ship. Then he was cast off the ship, and he was swallowed by the fish and went down to the bottom of the mountains, the bottom of the sea, and he went so far down that he could not go any further, further down. So now his direction, he's going up. I went down, but now I'm going up. You have brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. It was as if Jonah was saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But then his, his prayer changes, into your hands I commit my spirit. And what made the change is because Jonah finally allowed self to be consumed in the belly of the beast. Self consumed as he entered into the experience of the cross. And so as a result, what happens in verse 10? So the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. It's interesting. God spoke to Jonah, and Jonah disobeyed. But when God spoke to the fish, the fish obeyed. Isn't that right? Jonah now, because he experienced death to self, he can now experience resurrection in life. Jonah is resurrected from the belly of the fish, the belly of the grave. And now God comes to him again in chapter 3 and verse 1. It says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach to it the message that I shall tell you. So, no, so Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Here we find that God's word and God's mission did not change. Did you notice that? The same word that spoke to Jonah in chapter 1 is the same word that spoke to Jonah in chapter 3. The mission and the message did not change. It remained the same. What was it that changed? Not the message. It was the messenger that changed. Oh, my friends, we don't need to change our message. We don't need to modify our mission. We need to let God change and transform us. There is not, nothing wrong with our message, friends. Our message is called the everlasting gospel. It is not bad news or scary news or doom and gloom. It is good news. What, what needs to change, friends, is not the message and the mission of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. It is the messengers, and the storm is not going to do it. 
the fear of the last days, the fear of hell, nor the reward of heaven is going to truly transform us. It is only as we enter into the belly of the beast, it's only as we experience the cross that self will die so that Jesus can live. Oh, I want to experience this more in my life. How about you? It says the word came the second time. Oh, my friends, we serve a God of second chances. It came the second time. You see, the story of Jonah, Jonah points to the God of second chances, a God that does not give up on us so easily, a God that, that chases us when we run from him, a God that still watches over us even when we're walking in known disobedience. Oh, my brothers and my sisters, have you fallen away after knowing truth? Are you running from God's call upon your life? Are you trying to drown out that convicting voice in the pleasures of Tarshish? Maybe you've been a pastor, an elder, a Bible worker, a canvasser, or some type of spiritual leader in school, but your faith has grown dim and your love has grown cold. You've lost your first love experience and you have, uh, you have been weary in the wilderness of the world. And from standing on the mountain of victory, you have fallen into the, into the valley of defeat and immorality. Maybe you're one that after knowing truth like Jonah, you turn from your calling. You've shamed your family, misrepresented your church, disappointed your friends, disgraced that calling. You've hurt your Lord, and you've made a fool out of yourself in the process. Well, I'm here to tell you, friends, no matter who you are or what you've done, we serve a God of second chances, a God that gives us brand new beginnings. It does not matter where we came from. What matters is where we're going from this moment on. You know, when you jump in your vehicle, you'll find that in your car, there's a very large windshield in front of you. Isn't that right? And then in comparison to that large windshield, you have a very small rear view mirror. Do you know why? For the simple reason that what's behind you is not as important as what's in front of you. Amen? We may have a dark past. We may have disgraced our calling and run from our mission like Jonah, but we serve a God of second chances. But let me tell you, friends, the second chance comes as a result of the second death. It's because of what Jesus did at the cross. A crucifixion must come before the resurrection. Oh, yes, we all want the resurrection. We all want to live, but we don't really want to die. But let me tell you, friends, the resurrection is only for those who experience the crucifixion. Self must die before Jesus can live. This is the sign of Jonah. It is the sign of Jesus' Messiahship. It is also the same sign of our discipleship. Because Jesus said, whoever will be my disciple must take up the cross and follow me. Allow me to summarize before we head to our last point. God has given us a name that stands for something, just like Jonah. A name, an identity that reflects our message and our mission to a dying world. But unfortunately, like Jonah, even though we've been called and chosen, many of us have been unfaithful. Instead of going to Nineveh to give the loud cry message, we have turned to Tarshish seeking ease and luxury, convenience instead of conversion. 
Too much of us have been concerned with our own comforts, too zealous to guard our own reputations, and many messengers have been lulled to sleep by the gentle rocking on the ship of pleasure. We're sleeping in the midst of the storm, and we may be able to sleep for a little while, but the storm is just going to increase in its intensity, and it will be relentless in its fury, and the storm is either going to shake us up or it's going to shake us out. I don't want to be shaken out. I want to be shaken up. But the good news is this. God has prepared a fish for each and every one of us. Amen? God has prepared a fish to prepare a man and a woman for the mission. A test that soon will turn into a testimony. A trial that will turn into triumph, a mess that will turn into a message, a crucifixion that prepares us for the resurrection. But unfortunately, friends, many will only learn that lesson in the belly of the beast. But here's the thing, we like Jonah could easily avoid that trial. We could, we could easily avoid the belly of the beast by coming to the foot of the cross and listening to God when His Word first comes to us. By surrendering our will at the foot of the cross, it is there that God makes us faithful. Faithful meaning full of faith. And friends, there is only one whose faith was full. There is only one that had a faith that endured to the very end, one who had a perfect faith, a complete faith, and that was Jesus. A faith that trusted His Father even though he did not have the answer to the question why, as Jesus said, my God, my God, why? Why? Why have you forsaken me? And when he prayed that prayer, heaven was silent. You may be asking God why, and heaven is silent. Heaven may be silent, but heaven is not deaf. And God is tr trying to build and place within us a faith that is full, a faith that endures. And God's people in the last days will have that faith. It's called the faith of Jesus. How many of you want the faith of Jesus in your experience? What makes it possible? Let's go back and close up with this point. When Jesus said to the Pharisees, as Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights, the Son of Man also will be in the heart of the earth. What does that mean? There are many people who have ignored the context of that passage and have stubbornly insisted that when Jesus said three days and three nights, that means he had to be dead in the grave for 72 hours, three literal days and three literal nights. There are people who, uh, they make that uh, a point of controversy. But friends, it must be noted that of all the times Jesus spoke about his, the timing of His resurrection, He only said three days and three nights one time, Matthew 12, verse 40. Not only that, but majority of the times Jesus referred to the timing of His resurrection, He referred to it as the third day. The which day? The third day. And Jesus himself defined when the third day was 
It's simply the day after tomorrow. You can find that in Luke 13, 32. The third day, according to Jesus, is simply the day after to tomorrow. So what is today? We call today Friday. The day after tomorrow, tomorrow is Saturday, Sabbath. The day after tomorrow is what? Sunday, friends. The third day is simply the day after tomorrow. Not only that, but Jewish inclusive reckoning considers a part of one day as a full day. And so we can't come to the conclusion by this verse that Jesus was dead in the grave for 72 hours, three little days and three little nights, based upon uh, c comparing the Bible with himself. Not only that, friends, but Jesus did not say that he would be dead in the grave for three days and three nights, but rather he said he would experience the heart of the earth. His experience parallels Jonah's experience. But here's the thing. Jonah did not physically die. He experienced death, but it's far more profound than just physical. So the question I want to ask is this. What did Jesus mean when he referred to three days and three nights? Well, let me ask you the question. When did Jesus resurrect from the grave? When did he resurrect? Early Sunday morning, the first day of the week. So you count three days and three nights before Sunday morning, and that will land you, do you know when? Thursday evening. Thursday evening, friends, is when the heart of the earth experience began for Christ. But Jesus did not physically die on Thursday evening. He died on Good Friday, the day that was called the preparation. And so the question is, what exactly happened on Thursday evening? What happened Thursday evening? Gethsemane. That's when Jesus experienced the heart of the earth. It was when he went to the garden of Gethsemane when Jesus began to die, the heart of the earth, the heart of humanity. The Bible says that our hearts are desperately wicked and deceitful above all things. Naturally, our hearts are cold and callous, corrupt and cruel. And that's what Jesus began to experience on Thursday evening as he went into Gethsemane, the heart of humanity, as the sins of the world are placed upon him. And that's when he began to die. And he said, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful even unto death. But it was far more hurtful than physical. It refers to the complete alienation from God and man because it was in that garden that man forsook Christ, slept on him, betrayed him with a kiss. And it was in that garden the Father withdrew His presence. It was in that garden that the floods of humanity came unto His soul. It was there that the Father turned His face, and that's when the death began. And it continued for three whole days and three whole nights. Jesus felt alienated eternally until He came forth from the tomb early Sunday morning. And so, friends, here's the point. The physical death Jesus experienced on Friday was simply the outward climax of the deeper inward anguish of the death that began in Gethsemane, the heart of the earth. And Jesus did it, friends, for you. And He did it for me. He paid our debt in full. He was cut off that we might be reconciled back to God. He was forsaken that we might be forgiven. He was bruised, beaten, battered so that we could be blessed. He walked the way of suffering 
so that we could walk on streets of gold. He wore our crown of thorns that we might wear his crown of life. The only way we can be faithful, friends, we are called, yes, we are chosen, yes, but the only way we can be faithful is when we understand that he was faithful to us. He would not stop loving us even though we spit in his face and slapped him and beat him and forsook him. He was a faithful husband. Amen. He wouldn't stop loving us. Faithful unto death even the death of the cross. How many of you are thankful for your wonderful Savior? He is our sweet Savior. He is a King of kindness, God of grace, man of mercy, Lord of love. But not only is He our Savior, He is also our example. You see, Jesus in Gethsemane, not only the, the taste of the death that comes from sin, but he also experienced the death that comes from surrender. You see, in Gethsemane, he was praying, Lord, let this cup pa pass from me. Lord, I don't feel like going to Nineveh. Lord, if there's another way, maybe through Tarshish. That's what Jesus was experiencing. He did not feel like dying for you and me, but yet he concluded that prayer by saying, not my will, thy will be done. How many of you want to say that prayer with Jesus today? Thy will be done. Friends, let me tell you, victory over the beast is found in surrender to the Lamb. Victory over the beast is found in surrender to the Lamb. In order for us to wrestle with Satan and win, we first must wrestle with God and lose because victory is found in surrender. Oh, my friends, what sin holds you in bondage today? What is God calling you to surrender to Him as you face your fish today? Let it be our prayer. Lord, not my will. Thy will be done. We're called. We're chosen. Lord, may the cross make us faithful unto death. How many of you want that desire in your life? If so, would you bow your heads with me? And let us thank God for his goodness. Let us pray. Oh, Lord, there is so much more that needs to be said. But we thank you, Lord, that we have heard your voice. You've given us a glimpse into your infinite heart of love. Lord, we confess and acknowledge that we are not faithful. We have not lived up to our God-given name. We have forgotten our identity. We have ignored our mission, neglected our calling, and we've sought ease and luxury and comfort in Tarshish. Forgive us, Lord, for being more concerned with self than the Savior, more concerned with our glory than yours. Lord, as we look around at our world, we see that the storm is raging. The signs are being fulfilled. And we pray, Lord, that this storm will not shake us out, but shake us up
Forgive us for sleeping, Lord. Wake us up. And I pray, dear Lord, that we would experience death, that we might experience life, that we would be crucified so that you could be resurrected in our lives. Make us your children. Make us your messengers. Make us full of faith, faithful to the end. We thank you that he is faithful who has called us, who also will do it. We accept you again in our hearts, and we thank you for your sacrifice. In the wonderful name of Jesus, we pray this prayer that all of God's messengers and children say, Amen. This message was recorded at the GYC 2015 conference called Chosen Faithful in Louisville, Kentucky. GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, seeks to inspire young people to be Bible-based, Christ-centered, and soul-winning Christians. To download or purchase other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org.